0: Last Sunday evening, we started to talk about this subject of worldliness, and, and just what does it mean to be worldly? It's a, it's a pretty broad description, right? But, but ultimately, it, it fits into a lot of different categories when, when we just have this, this overwhelming or this driving desire to be like the world or, or to be liked by the world. And where that starts to shape us and mold us and, and transform us, that desire to be like or liked by the world, we, we find ourselves as individuals. we find our families. We find our nation, and at times we even find churches that begin to be driven by this thought of, "I want to be like the world. I want to be liked." By the world, now almost no one actually says that out loud, right? But, but in indeed, that is the thing that's driving us in an an unsaid sort of way. And so we have the words of John when he warns us: "Don't love the world, nor the things in the world." That's a warning for us that we need to be a people whose minds are being driven by the things of God, whose minds and whose lives are being driven by the will of God and by the love of God. Can I ask you a question? What's driving your life? I I think that's a question for all of us to ask, isn't it? When when we look at, at how we spend our days, at at what we do with our resources. Maybe even more to the point, when we dwell upon the things that occupy the space between our ears, how are we being changed? And are we being changed more into the image of Christ? Or are we being changed more into the image of this world? There in Mark chapter 8, I had you turn there, Not because it's even—I don't—I want to spend a great deal of time there, but but it's this section of scripture that's familiar to us when when Jesus, well, Jesus is fulfilling his place as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. Jesus is about to undertake the greatest spiritual step that anyone in the history of the world has ever or will ever take. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to suffer and die on the cross as an innocent man. And Peter hears these things and he does what well he does what any man of this world would say. God forbid. You can't do those things. And this is where Jesus rebukes him, right? And he says, "You you this is verse 33. You get behind me, Satan." And and we we always hone in on you know we, we don't toss around calling people satan very very, very much but that's exactly Jesus just kind of cuts to the chase well, why is he calling him satan he says for you are not setting your mind on god's interests but on man's see peter as a godly man righteous man i think that's probably fair to say at this point right i mean if peter came in the door i'd probably say hey man why don't you preach for us tonight But he was still struggling with these things. And so he says, your problem, Peter, is that you're thinking about this world more than you're thinking about the things of God. That's why he rebukes him. And so Jesus goes on to to make a lesson for the rest of his disciples about how they're seeing life. About not trying to save their life, but being willing to lose their life for something that is much greater and all the way down to verse 38 when 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 he tells them this for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his in the glory of his father with the holy angels see he says you are living in the midst of a sinful generation you are living in the midst of a world that could care less about God and godliness and spiritual things. Can we relate to that? Well, of course we can. I mean, I, I, I know many, many godly people, right? I, I, don't, I don't think that we live in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't think we live in the days of Noah and the ark. I mean, I can find more than eight people. I can find more than ten people in this room. I, I, I feel confident in that. But, but that being said, I mean, just it surrounds us with, with the people who we would say are in the mainstream of our world. Where the things of God just are not the priority. It's the things of man that are the priority. And he identifies that as a sinful generation. Even as we talk about the generations that surround us and the people that surround us today, it's just a way of life. Where this word sin is hardly even a word that people want to have in their vocabulary. It's an uncomfortable word. But yet it's a word that Jesus would use over and over You ever wonder why Jesus talks so much about sin? Well, I think we know why Jesus talks so much about sin. It's why he was here. It's why he left those ivory palaces, right? I mean, just a beautiful song. It's why he came to earth. It's why he went to the cross. It was the mission of his life to deal with the problem of sin. So it had to be on his mind and if it's on his mind, it's going to come out his mouth, right? Jesus spoke about sin and a sinful generation because, because that's really the problem. If it weren't for sin, he would have never had to be or do what he did. But brethren, a sinful generation did not only exist in the time of Jesus. A sinful generation exists today. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves, we find ourselves being influenced by the world And becoming a part of that sinful generation. Becoming a part of those people who who are really being driven by this desire to be like and liked by the world. So what I want us to talk about tonight is how worldliness impacts our view of sin. How that desire to be like the world or to have the world's approval changes. Us. I'll give you three points this evening. Number one, worldliness causes us to accept sin as normal. If you're taking notes, worldliness causes us to accept sin as normal. Whenever we get surrounded by sin day after day after day, what happens? we get used to it, right? We get used to sin. We get used to that's how people talk, that's how people live, that's how people are. Sometimes, no, no matter how horrible or how terrible it is, it's just not a big deal because I've seen it so many times. You, you remember the first time that you saw something that was sinful? I, I'm not asking the first time you saw sin being committed I'm just, maybe a specific thing uh, where, where you just had never seen it before. Do you remember, do you remember the first time that you saw a homosexual couple out in public? I don't know about you, but that's shocking to me. Like, what? what? I mean, did I just see what I think I said? No, I didn't see that in my, yes, you, that's what that was. Uh, shocking. But then you see it over and over and over. And I mean, you notice it. And I I mean, even to this day, I mean, it's sinful, right? I'm going to talk about those things, preach against those things. But it doesn't impact me the same way that it used to. You know why? Just seen it a lot. Worldliness causes us to accept sin as if it is normal. Well, if everybody's doing it, then can it really be that bad? And that's the answer. The answer is yes, it can. But we have to be reminded of that, because we lose this ability. We lose this ability. The prophet Jeremiah would say, would say even to blush. Jeremiah eight and verse twelve. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed, and they didn't even know how to blush. You remember the things that used to embarrass you? And now you just kind of go along. It's just the way it is. We don't even I mean we don't even think about it. Issues of modesty. Issues of Nakedness. I mean, we we spent a week on the beach. And we went out of our way to be very private and to not go out where everybody was. And I've been in those places before and left those places, but so yet you would see people that were, well, they weren't clothed very well, right? By the way, you didn't have to go to the beach to see those things. You could just kind of walk in Walmart to see those things. And and I'm, I'm not I'm not even talking about how shorts too short. I mean I, that's not the conversation I want to have. I'm just talking about nakedness. That's that's real. I mean that's really what I'm talking about. Okay. But it was just normal. That's just the way people dress. That's just what you do. And I, I think I think about how many about how many young ladies and how many young men. I guess you don't have to be young. How many men and women live in households where they never even think about exposing exposing their bodies to other people it's the world we live in come on it's a thousand degrees outside right now right so we know why i mean this is we're susceptible to to these things in ways that other people aren't It's just normal yeah but it's still sinful to put your body on display It, it is but sometimes i have to be reminded of that there's language that people use and well that's just the way that people talk you you ever get used to it i mean we got a lot of military guys in here right i mean a lot of you guys have spent your i mean you spent some time in, in in some of these environments where i mean there was some pretty pretty crazy words that got passed around right right that's why you can't watch a war movie somebody said it's realistic well it may be realistic it's still crude it's still ungodly But what happens over time, it's just normal. And what happens to people when it's just normal, then you just start to to talk like that too because that's the way people talk. You don't have to be in the armed services to be impacted in that way, right? Um, I spent some time in a high school locker room, okay, which impacted some of my language. So I'll be watching some of you boys, mine in particular, about where those things come from. I I know, but it's that that thing where we just, those things that, oh, did you hear what they said? Oh, did you say to, yeah, that's no big deal. That's just the way it is. If it's sinful, if it's sinful, we need to understand that sin is sin. What do you watch? What, let's talk about movies. Let's talk about television shows. Let's talk about all these things that we would look at, and we would say, this is sinful, but yet but we don't even think about it as being sinful. The world causes us to accept sin as if it were normal. And we just get used to it. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. See, people are always repackaging things. The devil's not dumb, right? Once again, the devil doesn't show up with, you know, a pitchfork and a little red suit, and that's not what he does. So we talk about things like abortion. I mean, I've never heard one person that thinks you know what you know what I you know what I think is a good idea going out and killing babies. Nobody says that. I just support a woman's right to choose. Really. What's happening? It's this obviously sinful thing, but we're just repackaging it. How many times do we do we watch something and and listen? A, a woman has has an affair on her husband, or or a husband has an affair on their wife, and. It's packaged in a movie as true love. Anybody ever seen that movie? Anybody ever seen that television show? I mean, you know, I'm just not saying you don't got to go to late night cable television to find this stuff. That's just the world we live in. And we get used to it. And it warps our thinking. Because we stop calling sin and recognizing sin as sin. Worldliness causes us to accept sin as if it is normal. And it may be normal, but it's still sin. Can I say that? It may be normal. It may be getting more normal all the time, but it's still sin. And it still put Jesus on the cross. Secondly, this evening, can can we consider the idea that worldliness causes people to trivialize sin and the gospel. Worldliness causes people to trivialize sin and the gospel, and, and to, to trivialize means to make it into something, it's just no big deal, right? It's, 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 a, it's a trivia thing, trivial thing. There, there was a, um, a fairly famous religious debate, and I'm not even going to tell you what it was about, because I don't really care what it was about. At this moment, it was about something that 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 the word of God speaks about, and one person was supporting the word of God, and one person was denying the word of God. They wouldn't phrase it that way, but that's what it was. And and the one who was the one who was basically trying to to, to downplay what 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 the word was saying, he said, he said, I want to take you on a trip. I want to take you on a trip to hell. Yikes. I mean, who wants to go on that trip? It's imaginary. He's going in his mind. And he, he told the story about going down this, this long, winding staircase. And, and it was, you know, it was heating up and all, all of these things. And, and as, as all of this was happening, they were meeting different people on the way. And man, what are you here for? And, you know, I killed all these people and I did this and I did that. And they got to the end of this stairway. And, and, then, and then there was this, this sweet, kind looking elderly woman who was sitting there in a rocking chair you know doing some crochet right and he said what are you in here for and she said well i'm in here for and she said what it was that they were debating about now why did he tell that story well he told that story to to make it an emotional issue right he told that story to say you're saying that this person is in hell I mean, and we all understand why these people would be lost, but what you're saying is that this person is in hell for this thing. Now, I would say that if you'd been present in that room, you would have been hard-pressed to have answered his little story without looking very uncaring, right? Whatever you want to plug in the issue of. But the reason that he told the story was for that very reason, he was trying to to make this emotional appeal, and in doing so, he was trivializing the things that are revealed in God's word. He was setting up this system not where he was saying, no, the Bible has no issue with this. This is not sinful, which is a discussion we can have. He was acknowledging what the Bible says, but then he was connecting that to hell as if, as if there are some things that the Bible teaches, that will lead us to hell but there are some things that the bible teaches that will not lead us to hell who gets to decide who gets to decide what it is in god's word that is a matter of salvation or heaven or hell which parts of the gospel are essential and which are not essential which sin which sin can you lose your soul over and which sin is okay Because that's what everybody does. See, this is what worldliness does to our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of sin. It trivializes. It trivializes it. Or we stop just asking the question, what does the Bible say? And there are many people that I know... they're they're famous they're they're much more world-renowned than i am and they talk about spiritual triage and they talk about how well you know you can take these things that the bible says and they fit into this category and these things that the bible says and they fit into this category and i hear these things and they make sense to me but in the back of my head i'm saying who gets to decide what goes in what category i mean at the end of the day does the bible teach it or does it not does the Bible teach it or does it not? And truthfully, guys, we've we got to get out of the heaven and hell business in terms of pronouncing eternal judgment. I can't do that. You can't do that. But we've we got to be a people who just say what Jesus says. I'm, I'm going to let that sit there. we, we got to get back to asking that question, so what does the Bible say? And I've said this over and over, but I'm going to say it over and over again. We live in a world that doesn't like that question. But it's still the right question. What does the Bible say? And we can get lost in the weeds when we start talking about the implications of what the Bible says. That's where worldliness begins to hit us, right? Maybe, maybe as close together as I know is in Matthew chapter 19 where we talk about the implications of what Jesus is saying. You know Matthew you know, you know, 19, 9, right? I mean, it's one, of the, it's one of the clearest passages in the New Testament. Okay? Matthew nineteen nine, that that the only reason for a man to divorce his wife and to remarry is in the case of sexual immorality, fornication. Okay, so they hear that. They hear that, and what's the response? Now, Jesus, I think that you um, have that one wrong. No, that's not what they do. They don't come down and like, okay, but I have a question about this issue or about this technicality. No, they understand perfectly what it is that he's saying. But their response in verse 10 is where they get caught up in the implications. The disciples said to him, well, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, well, then it would be better not to marry. What happened? What happened? They weren't struggling to understand what the Bible says, but they were overwhelmed by the implications. As if there were some things that, that he says that are essential and there are some things that are not essential. You, you keep reading. We, we have that example of the rich young ruler who asked that amazing question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, wouldn't you love it if people didn't... I mean, Joe, you prayed about evangelism. If we just had somebody not show up at the door, Joe, tell me what to do in order to inherit eternal life. Come on, I'm throwing a softball, right? We're going to knock that thing out of the park. And Jesus starts to teach him, and, and you know, he says, I want you to take all that you have and sell it and give it to the poor. You think he understood what Jesus said? I know he understood. I know we understand because, hey, we always make a big deal. I just want to make sure we know he, that's not something he's telling us that we have to do, okay? Every time every Bible class I've ever been in, we, we want to clarify that. That's good. But he, I'm saying he understood text says in verse 22, when he heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. See, instead of just saying, well, what does the Bible say? That's what I'm going to do, because I want to be transformed. I want to be transformed by him. No, he was transformed by the things of the world. He got caught up in the implications much more than he was caught up in what did God actually say. That's dangerous. Thirdly, and finally, worldliness can cause us to lose perspective. Worldliness can cause us to lose perspective. Have you ever known someone who had a very clear understanding of what the Word of God says and what the Word of God teaches and who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be? Maybe they've taught in Bible classes. Maybe they have preached from pulpits. But then something changes. Something changes in their personal life. Maybe with their spouse. Maybe with their children. Maybe with their work situation. And that thing doesn't change their interpretation of the text. It changes their application of the text. And all of a sudden they have a different position than they've ever had before. Why? Well, because now all of a sudden these things affect my son. My my father my friend they get they get real personal I'm just going to tell you at some point the gospel is going to get real personal okay by its very design and and whatever whatever that sticking point you have is I'm just going to tell you that the Satan he's going to make sure it comes up in your life I believe that I think I've lived that I think you have too well we lose perspective Well, we see clearly when it when it applies when it applies to people who we don't know or we don't associate with, oh, so easy for us to talk about those people. i almost loathe talking about those people. I'm just going to tell you, we have done some of that this evening, but I very much try in my own mind to think about very specific people. Because we tend to see that sin in the world, but then far too often people develop vision problems when sin appears in their own life. Or in their family's life. There in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus would tell, well, Jesus would tell a story about that servant who was forgiven. About about that servant who, who had this great debt that he could never pay. And the master comes, and the master forgives him this debt. Wonderful. Don't we love grace when it's about us? don't we i mean i'm all i'm all about wes hazel receiving something good that he doesn't deserve right travis you want to buy my dinner tonight i will let you okay that'd be grace just throwing that out there this we, we love it when it comes to ourself but do we ever struggle to show it to others it's perspective this man had been forgiven He went on on about about his way, but then someone came who owed him something. What did he do? Wouldn't forgive it. Much less of a debt. Nope. He owes me. This is right. This is wrong. We're unyielding on this. Throw him in prison. But when the master heard about this, he came and he condemned this man. You know, he says there in Matthew 18 and verse 33, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? But, but worldliness causes us to lose that perspective. Brethren, we live in the midst of a sinful generation. When, when we speak of worldliness as that overwhelming desire to be liked and liked by the world, I've had people tell me that that's not the case in their life and that they don't feel that in their life. Good for you, but I doubt it. And I know that's not the case in my life. I feel it. I feel that push to be made into the world's image. I feel that push to fit in and to do whatever ever, ever whatever everybody else is doing or saying. I I feel that push to do the things and say the things that will receive the approval of the world. And God warns us, don't be conformed to this world. You be transformed by God. We live in the midst of a sinful generation. And as we live in that midst, we, we will... Well, if we're not careful, that sense of worldliness can cause us to accept sin as if it's just the norm. It can cause us to trivialize sin and the, very, and the gospel itself. It can cause us to lose perspective. Th- this morning, we spoke about Jesus. And we spoke about loving Jesus. I, I hope that we, I believe that we all left here in our minds resolute, resolved, that we're going to love the Lord and we're going to strive to fall even more deeply in love with Him than we have ever been before. When you love someone, how do you feel about the things that hurt them? When you love someone, How do you feel about the things that they must endure which are not fair? When you love someone, how do you feel about the things that kill them? Some of you know what it's like to have a child with a disease, some of you even know what it's like to lose a child. a disease cancer things of that nature let's just imagine for a moment that that actually happened to you how would you feel about that disease would it make your blood boil would it would it would it change us when we talk about sin, I want us to understand it's the thing that kills the Son of God. If we love Him, we don't just wink at it and say, well, sin is sin. Everybody sins. We've always had sin. But it grieves us. I, I remember back in Missouri, there would be these... these. Uh, billboards on the interstate for a local hospital and they just said this they had pictures of doctors and nurses on them and they said I hate cancer they were very effective because you're driving along there and you're thinking about your loved one your mother, your father, your son your daughter, maybe yourself and what cancer has done to them and you could say yeah, I hate cancer too I hate sin. No matter how much sin we are surrounded by in this world, may we understand that it killed Jesus. It killed the one who died for us. May we hate it. May we fight it. May we be averse to it. May we be willing and ready to repent when when it, when it, when it rears its head in our life in the midst of a sinful generation what are we that's the answer that's the question that we will answer there's some of you that are here tonight you lost in your sin i don't know any other way to put that you've never come you've never you've never been born again you've never risen from that watery grave to walk in a newness of life don't know why but i'm asking you tonight i'm asking you to hate sin enough that you'll do something about it tonight. There are many of us that put up with far too much sin. Just got used to it. And I'm asking us to repent. I'm asking us to repent of having the thing that put Jesus on the cross as a fixture in our lives. May we be holy As he is holy. You come this evening as we stand and as we sing.